Hey friend, thanks so much for meeting me here at Frothy Monkey in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to get a good cup of joe and share together in some good conversation. Anyway, be looking at the menu. I know you're new here. Decide what you want. Text it to me. I'm going to go ahead and get in line and place our order. Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, always advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is episode 119. This is a part of the sub-series Empowering Encouragement Now. This is number four in that sub-series. Are you a trench digger? Here is an Empowering Encouragement Now found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 3. I want you to listen and learn from this powerful historical story. It's set in the period of the rule of kings over Israel. In chapter 3, it says, Joram, son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria during the 18th year of Judah's king Jehoshaphat, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like his father and mother, for he removed the sacred pillar of Baal his father had made. Nevertheless, Joram clung to the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram marched out from Samaria at that time and mobilized all Israel. Then he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? Jehoshaphat said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He asked, which route should we take? He replied, the route of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out. After they had traveled their indirect route for seven days, they had no water for the army or the animals with them. Then the king of Israel said, oh no, The Lord has summoned these three kings only to hand them over to Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Let's inquire of the Lord through him. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, who used to pour water on Elijah's hands, is here. Jehoshaphat affirmed, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. However, Elisha said to King Joram of Israel, What do we have in common? Go to the prophets of your father and your mother. But the king of Israel replied, No, because it is the Lord who has summoned these three kings to hand them over to Moab. Elisha responded, By the life of the Lord of armies before whom I stand, if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't look at you. I would not take notice of you. Now bring me a musician. While the musician played, the Lord's hand came on Elisha. Then he said, This is what the Lord says. Dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. For the Lord says, You will not see wind or rain, but the wadi will be filled with water, and you will drink, you and your cattle and your animals. This is easy in the Lord's sight. He will also hand Moab over to you. Then you will attack every fortified city and every choice city. You will cut down every good tree and stop every spring. You will ruin every good piece of land with stones." About that time for the grain offering the next morning, water suddenly came from the direction of Edom and filled the land. The armies of the three kings were desperately in need of water in that wadi. A wadi is a valley, ravine, or channel that is dry except in the rainy season. 
God was about to supernaturally send the water, and in these words the prophet announced the coming blessing. Here was a case of human helplessness. Not a drop of water could all the brave and stout-hearted people procure from the skies or find in the wells of earth. Consequently, the Christian is often at their wit's end. They see the futility of their humanness and learn experimentally where their help is to be found. Still, in this story, the people were to make a believing preparation for the divine blessing. They were to dig the trenches in which the precious liquid would be held. The Christian must, by their varied abilities, efforts, and prayers, make themselves ready to be blessed. They must make the pools, and the Lord will fill them. This must be done in faith, in the full assurance that the blessing is about to descend. Eventually, there was a singular gift of the needed favor. Not as in Elijah's case did the shower pour from the clouds, but in a silent and mysterious manner the pools were filled. The Lord has His own sovereign modes of action, friend. He is not tied to manner and time as we are, but does as He pleases among the people of His creation. It is ours, thankfully, to receive from Him and not to dictate to Him. We must also notice in this story the remarkable abundance of the supply. It says there was enough for the need of all, and so it is in the gospel blessing. All the wants of the Christian shall be met by the divine power in answer to prayer. And above all this, victory shall be speedily given to the armies of the Lord. Friend, here are a couple of great questions to ask yourself and seriously answer. And I mean that, to ask yourself and seriously answer. Question number one. What am I doing for Jesus? What am I doing for Jesus? Question number two. What trenches am I digging? What trenches am I digging? Friend, your prayer should be, O Lord, make me ready to receive the blessing which you are so willing to bestow. Friend, what are you doing for the Lord? Are you using the time, talents, and treasures the Lord has given you to make preparation to receive a supernatural blessing from Him in the area of your greatest real need? Do you believe God's supernatural acts of provision for His people was something He did in the past? Do you believe that the historical accounts in the Bible of God's divine intervention really did happen? Friend, I am here to testify that the Creator God of the universe is intimately involved in the affairs of the humans He created and he desires to show himself faithful to his creation by the intervention of his supernatural, unexplainable gifts of provision, if we will act in obedience and make preparation to receive it. Happy digging, and with that, my friend, I bid you peace.